Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. We are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we are at chapter 4 when Jesus starts to teach the crowds in parables. When I was a kid, I loved the world of Batman and Robin. I had many comic books and collected numerous action figures of Batman and Robin. Uh, I, I would get lost in this world. Uh, in the, the house I grew up in, we had a backyard full of trees and bushes. I would go out and spend hours in the backyard with my little action figures, transforming, right, reimagining these trees and these bushes to become the city of Gotham, with my little action figures as the key characters in this adventure and in this epic story that I was reimagining in the backyards. I would get lost in this world, so much so that when I got a new Batman figure, I was so excited I had to get on my bicycle, ride down the street, and show all my friends. I had the new Batman action figure in my hands as I got on my bike and rode down the street. And I was looking at this Batman action figure, and it was pulling me into this world of Batman and Robin. I was beginning to imagine and think about the many adventures I would be on with this action figure, right? Getting pulled into this world. And then all of a sudden, bam, I had hit a brick mailbox. I had gotten so consumed, right, in this action figure and in this world of Batman and Robin that I had forgotten about the world around me. And that world around me hit me and hit me pretty hard. I was okay. The action figure had a couple scratches. Uh, which is, yeah, we got, we got through it together. But in a way, this is what a parable is all about. N.T. Wright said, parables invite listeners into a new world and encourage them to make that world their own, to see their ordinary world from now on through this lens, within this grid. The struggle to understand a parable is the struggle for a new world to be born. And a parable is, right, it's inviting us into a little miniature story that has familiar aspects to it. They take us from the familiar to the unfamiliar, the known to the unknown. And in that transition, though, as they pull us into this story, there usually is that unexpected shocking moment. Maybe so shocking it's like you're hitting a mailbox and you're waking up to a new world that's surrounding you, that you're being called into. This is what parables are all about. So let's get into Jesus's parable of the sower. You heard it read earlier, and let's literally enter into it, enter into this short little story that Jesus is giving us, that reveals the nature of the kingdom and reveals something about ourselves as well. What kind of world is it creating? How is it subverting our own world and giving birth to a new world, a new existence? The parable itself is quite simple. Uh, about three soils that do not produce any fruit or grain, and one soil that does. The first three soils that do not produce any fruits is the path that the birds of the air come and quickly snatch the seed that's been sown. The second soil, the rocks, the rocks underneath the soil stop it from growing roots. It germinates and grows a bit, but then it quickly comes to nothing because of the weather and the sun that's upon it because it has no roots. The last soil, the thorns, it grows and deepens and matures almost as if it's about to give fruit or grain. 
and yet the thorns come up and choke it, and it does not produce any fruits. The only soil that produces fruit is the last one, and it is the good soil that produces fruit in 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. So the familiar aspect to this parable, right, even if we're not farmers, we get it, that good soil produces uh, plants that are fruitful, that produce grain, and bad soils don't. What's the unfamiliar, unexpected, shocking maybe, or subversive aspect to this parable? We must remember the context in which Jesus is giving this parable. And first and foremost, it's Jesus who is giving this parable. To be good soil, to bear fruit in life, to live as if it was, as life was meant to be, one must listen to Jesus. Jesus is the giver of this parable, the one sowing the seeds. Now, the crowds would have undoubtedly known this reality, right? Up until this point, Jesus has been preaching the word in chapter 2, or chapter 3, as it says. In chapter 1, he's been teaching as one who has authority. And the crowds that have gathered around him have not only heard him this way, but have seen his authority. He proclaimed the announcement of the kingdom that is at hand in chapter 1, verses 15. And from that point, he's been embodying this proclamation. He has been the proclamation. The kingdom of God is entering into the world as many have waited for God to do, and now it's happening. Through his miracles, through his healings, through his casting out of demons, through his teaching, Jesus is embodying the reality of the kingdom. He's throwing forth the reality of the kingdom with his life to everyone who would hear. Jesus is the giver and the sower of these seeds. Now, if you want to be in the kingdom, if you desire to be fully human, fully alive, to live life as it was meant to be, then you must respond to Jesus. It's not about merely possessing the law or the Jewish customs as the religious leaders of Jesus' time thought. It's not about certain status. It's not about where you began in this journey. But it's about this moment of responding to Jesus to listening to him, because everything else, the law, the Jewish customs, everything about life is now being rewritten around Jesus. And we have to respond to that. Thus, the imperative is listen. Jesus begins this parable saying, listen. And he ends this parable saying, those who have ears, let them listen. Let them hear. If you want to be the good soil, you must listen to him. How do we do this? The context that surrounds this parable, Mark's narrative, is in a way painting another picture, right? We have the parable, and then around the parable, and especially that which came before the parable, Mark has been painting a picture. And it's in this picture that I think we are illuminated to the reality of what does it look like to respond to Jesus in this moment, up until this point, it's literally those who have been gathering around Jesus are the ones that are listening. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 4, right before the parable, it says a crowd is gathering around Jesus, so much so that he has to step inside of a boat. At the very end of this parable, after he gives it, 
there's another group that are coming around Jesus along with the apostles, asking him about this parable. And it's to that group that Jesus responds, to you, it has been given the secret or the mystery of the kingdom. It's me. Because you are coming back to me. Isn't that, it's a wonderfully comforting moment. These followers of Jesus in this moment are sitting there scratching their heads saying, I hear you, but I don't quite fully understand. Okay, I'm getting you have authority, but I don't understand it all right now. Can I have more? And Jesus says, yeah, you will get more. Come and follow me. Be with me. It's a wonderfully comforting moment to be around Jesus. Just before that, uh, there's crowds that have gathered around Jesus that, or there's the calling of the apostles. I first want to go to this moment. The calling of the apostles. This is a beautiful moment where Jesus calls the 12 apostles, and he says he calls them for two purposes. First and foremost, Jesus calls the 12 apostles, it says, quoting Mark, to be with him. And then secondly, to send them out with the same authority that he has to preach and to cast out demons and to heal. But first and foremost, it's to be with them. And then right before the telling of this parable in the Gospel of Mark, the end of chapter 3, gathering around Jesus becomes the redefining mark of those who are inside and those who are outside. If you remember, there's a crowd that gathers around Jesus, and the crowd reminds Jesus that his mother and brother are outside, said the text, looking for him. And we heard from Jesus' mother saying he's out of his mind. He's going from one crowd to the next crowd. And like a good mother, she's got supper ready, and he needs to eat. He needs to rest. But he keeps going out. He's out of his mind. And the crowd that's gathered around Jesus saying, hey, your mother and brother are looking for you. And then Jesus turns to them, and he questions them with this question. Who is in my family? What is the central mark of being in my family? And the text says this, looking at those who sat around him, looking at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brother and my sister, here. And then he elaborates on that more, saying, those who do the will of God are my mother and my brother and my sister. You want to be in the family, in the kingdom? You must sit around me. You must be with me. You must begin to align your life with me. Those who are expected to be far off from the kingdom of God are gathering around Jesus. And those who are expected to be near are actually far off. What about these on the outside? Jesus quickly talks about this right before he explains the parable. Quoting Isaiah, he says, Those outside are all things are in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And a quick moment on this. This text can give us some trouble, some heartburn, right? But it's Jesus quoting Isaiah, literally stepping in the shoes of an Old Testament prophet. 
Jesus stepping in the shoes of Isaiah. And in that passage that we heard earlier of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is given this grand vision of a, just a fraction of the glory of God filling the temple because his glory fills all of creation. And he's undone in this moment. And God, or he responds to God in this moment saying, I'll go, I'll be your messenger. And God sends them out. Although Israel will hear but not listen, they will see but not be able to perceive. And that will be Isaiah's ministry. And thus it is with Jesus as well. Because in the Old Testament, the world of idolatry was this world in which when you turned from the living God and worshipped an idol, as we read from Psalm 115, idols have eyes but cannot see, have a mouth but cannot speak, have ears but cannot hear, have hands that cannot touch or feel, have feet that cannot act. And those who turn to them and put their trust in them become like them, have ears but cannot hear, have eyes but cannot see, have hands that cannot feel, feet that cannot act. But those who turn to the living God, those who turn to Jesus, who has eyes and can see, who has ears and can hear, who has a mouth and can speak, who has hands who can feel, who has feet that can act, you turn to him, to the living God, and you begin to have eyes that begin to see, ears begin to hear, hands that begin to feel, feet that begin to act. So where are our hearts? Are they gathered around Jesus, listening to him? As we enter into the story of this parable, our hearts are going to be uncovered, and our response in this moment is essential. Jesus' explanation of the parable reveals the various heart postures that we might have towards him. The first soil, as Jesus explains to this other crowd that's gathering around him, is the hardened heart. The word is thrown, bounces right off, and the bird, or as in Jesus' explanation, Satan himself comes and snatches it. The second soil, the rocky soil, is the shallow heart. The seed comes and it germinates. It begins to grow, but it cannot grow deep roots and it's easily withered by difficulties, by the need to persevere. The third soil, the thorns, the distracted heart, I would call this one. It grows and it matures. And yet, as Jesus explains, the cares of the world, the desire for things, the distraction of riches, of wealth, comes up and chokes the plant and stops it from becoming fruitful. Right? We live in an age of distraction. We know what this is like. The, we have to manage all of our lives, right? Our houses, our finances, we have to tend to our degree plans, to our career path, or perhaps it's as simple as a buzzing phone in our pockets, right? We are so overwhelmed with concerns and things to get to, that even our moments of silence or our downtime, we have a thing going off, buzzing, getting our attention. Right? Have you heard of this? I think they call it something like um, the, the phantom vibration syndrome, where we're so accustomed to this thing going off in our pockets that even just the, 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 the slight little uh, feeling as if it's going off, we reach for it. And we come to see that, oh, actually, it's not going off at all. And this happens. It happens to me. This is the world we live in. 
But it's just another symbol of how overwhelmed we are with our concerns. We cannot sit still for long. We are easily distracted. And this is a real threat to our response to gather around Jesus and listen. The good soil, the fulfilled soil, he used to say, or the fulfilled heart, the word is heard, received, and it bears much fruit. And sometimes this one seed produces 30-fold. Another time the seed produces 60. Another time 100. It doesn't matter how much. The fact that it's fulfilling its purpose, that's what the good soil does. So where is your heart? What is the posture your heart is taking towards Jesus? We all begin the life of gathering around Jesus by allowing that seed to enter into our hearts, which gives birth to new life. We have to start there. We gather around Jesus and we listen to him. And if that's brand new to you, or if you're all of a sudden just seeing that your heart actually wants this, then responding to him in this moment by leaning in all the more. Being that second crowd that hears him give this parable and gathers around him again to ask more questions, to lean further into him. That's the response he calls for. Jesus later will talk about being baptized, right? And the apostles after that in the New Testament will talk about baptism as this reality of saying, I want to gather around Jesus. My life is to be one big gathering around Jesus because he is mine and I am his. If you've been following Jesus for a short time, it's often quickly revealed that we have rocks underneath the soil of our lives. And these rocks stop us from going much deeper into Christ. And often, right, these things are complicated. They're not necessarily put there by us. It's the reality of growing up in a broken world, in a broken family, in a broken society. But there will be rocks there underneath the surface. And we need to open up our hearts, open up our lives, and allow Jesus to reach in with his resurrected hands that bear the mark of the cross, the wounds of the cross on his hands, to enter into the soil of our lives and grasp those rocks that are far too heavy for us to pull out, to allow him to enter in and to pull out those rocks and to create good soil within us. If you've been following Jesus even for a day or a hundred, it's easy to see the distractions around us, that there are thorns around us growing up in every direction, choking the life of the Spirit in us. We need to open up our hearts to reveal those thorns. We need, again, the resurrected hands that have bound the strong man to enter in and grab and pull out those thorns, those distractions that are keeping us from entering into the life of Jesus into a far greater way. And it's hard, right? It's hard to really know where your heart's at. It's almost like you're eating a bowl of spaghetti with a spoon. It's very difficult to actually pin down where your heart is at, to actually know how your heart is responding. It's a fickle thing. At times, we need our bodies, our physical presence, to lead the way for our stubborn hearts. 
Father Thomas Hopko, an Orthodox theologian and priest, says this about prayer. Prayer is not just an activity of the mind and heart. It is an activity of the whole person, i.e., it's an activity of the body. We need to respond with our bodies. Your body needs to pray along with your mind and your heart. And at times, we need to change the posture of our hearts by changing the posture of our bodies as well. Be encouraged on one level, right? You're all here. That's a beautiful thing. There's a real conversion moment, you might call, in leaving behind where you live and all the concerns that are there, your jobs, your to-do list, your finances, all these things that get in the way that are necessary for life to go on. But you've come here to respond, to lean in, to listen and gather around Jesus. And I would encourage you, on a much more personal level, to think about what does it look like for you to respond right now? And to enter into that response when we go into the prayers of the people in this moment of prayer. And if it's just silently to yourself, that's totally fine and great. But I would encourage you, just in the quietness of where you're sitting, open up your hands as a physical response to you desiring for Jesus to enter further into the soil of your life, to create good soil. Open up your hands and allow him to enter in. And as we come to gather around this table, when you, and this is one of the reasons we do it this way, right? We, you walk towards the table and you gather around. And even if it's just for a blessing, you're saying with your body as an expression of your heart, I want to hear Jesus. I want to listen. I want to gather around you. So come up here boldly with confidence that Jesus is calling for us to listen to him, to gather around him, and to receive his rich blessing of life to us that he has given to us in his life. Receive it and allow him to recreate your life into being good soil that grows up to be fruitful Amen.